This is the word of God. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Uh, how are we doing this morning? We awake? We're good? We're okay? It's all right. It's all right. We're all right. There's another week coming, so maybe we'll get a win next week. Um, friends, uh, how many of us have ever taken a personality test? Show of hands. Oh, a good amount of us. So we know that personality tests are helpful tools. They're things that you can take and kind of examine yourself, learn a couple more things about yourself. Maybe you do them just personally. You're like, hey, I'd like to learn just a little bit more about my tendencies, about who I am as a person, things that I maybe lean towards. Sometimes you do them for work. We've done them as a staff team here at the church, and that helps us in processing, hey, how do we function with one another? How do we love each other? Uh, And maybe you take them with just groups of friends because you're kind of intrigued to see uh, what your friend's personality type maybe is here and there. So I have a little game for us uh, that I want to play. So we're going to put up a couple of different screenshots of results of different personality tests, kind of the map of like, uh, here's what all the answers might be of your personality. And I want you guys, you can actually verbally participate. And you guys, I want you guys to guess which, what the answer is to whatever personality test it is. So, okay, first one. Myers-Briggs, good, that was fast. Okay, next one. No, this one's tough. This is the SDI. This is actually one that we use within our staff team. Love languages, wow, the Christians know that one. Next one. Enneagram, oh, the believers know that one too. Okay, Uh, another one. This one's Strength Finders, right? Boom. Is there one more? Is that it? That's it? Sweet. Uh, Well, as I think of personality tests, these are super fun. I actually love personality tests. I love learning different things about myself. I love learning things about other people. I love trying to figure out what tendencies might be. But if we rely so much on personality tests, maybe you guys uh, can attest to this, there's often times where we just tell ourselves, yep, that's who I am, exactly. That is my complete identity. I'm an Enneagram 3, so everything I do is an Enneagram 3. And as I think about myself, and as I was pondering on my own identity, who I am, my personality, I, I started being able to rat, rattle off a bunch of things about myself. I, I could say, oh, I'm an achiever. I like to get things done. I'm a woo on the strength finder. I, I enjoy people and bringing them in. Uh, I, I love absolutely being an extrovert and really loud and just kind of screaming out there because there's people all over the place. But then when I'm like all alone, I'm kind of like a little hermit. And I just like being by myself in those moments. And it, I found myself thinking as I was thinking about all those different personality traits, results from different tests, man, is that truly who I am? I started asking myself, okay, personality tests are great for helping us see our tendencies. I'm grateful for them because they've helped me as a, as a pastor, as I work with other staff. They've helped me in my marriage as I've tried to figure out how I'm a lot different than my wife and how do we continue to build our relationship with one another and love each other well. But I started to pose myself the question, is that truly who I am? Is that the core of my identity? Now, most of us could probably rattle 20 different things off about what it means to be an Enneagram 3, ENFJ, uh, Strength Finders Woo, love language. But how many of us could start to rattle off 20 different things about what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? I started to just process, man, I know so much more about 
what a personality test might say about me than what I actually know of what God says is true of me. And maybe you could resonate with that because we like personality tests. We enjoy kind of finding out different quirks and different things and tendencies of why we function that way. But as I think of what God has declared over us, that is so much more true than something that a simple test might tell us that gives us a little bit of insight on why we tend to do things the way that we do. And so I often wonder, man, do I not function as the salt of the earth and the light of the world because I don't truly know what that means? Do I function more into this basket of being an ENFJ and the strength finders because I can rattle off 20 different things about what that means about my personality and so I try to fit myself into that box more than I know what it means that I'm a son of God who's been absolutely redeemed and completely made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. These are things that I was just pondering on over this last week that maybe I don't function as a child of the king sometimes, and maybe I fall into my sin, or maybe I forget my true identity because I don't sit with it enough, and I don't remind myself of who I truly am. And so today in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to have the privilege of reading about some identity markers that Jesus gives to his people. In two different illustrations this morning, Jesus reminds us that we as his kingdom people preserve the decaying world, and we bring light to the kingdom. We bring, light, uh, we bring the light of the kingdom. So our main question for the morning is, are we truly living out the identity that's given to us? Are we truly living out the identity that's given to us? So if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 again, and I'm going to read verse 13. Matthew 5, verse 13. It says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how could it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So the first point that we see today is that the salt of the earth, we preserve the decaying world. We preserve the decaying world. So Jesus finished his sermon introduction with the Beatitudes. He closes that in verse 12. Ricky kind of walked us through that. But as he transitions here, he starts to discuss some identity markers of his people in verses 13 through 16. He gives them illustrations to show this is who you are. This is who my people are, the people of the kingdom. And he calls them the salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. So who is the you? Just to kind of go backwards a little bit. We got to set, uh, actually, who's he talking to? Who is Jesus directly addressing when he says, you are the salt to the earth? His disciples, right? A couple of weeks back, we covered, hey, Jesus is talking to the large crowds. He's got some of his disciples there as well. But his main audience is the people who truly look to him as the Messiah, the one who, is saved, the one who saves, right? He's the king of the universe, and he's actually directing this speech to his disciples, his followers, those who would call him the king of the world. And Jesus says, hey, you are the salt of the earth. So if those who follow Jesus are the audience, what does it mean to be salt? That's kind of a weird term to call somebody. I got some of it just sitting in my kitchen in a little tube. Why is he calling me salt? What does that mean? Uh, well, salt in the ancient world was used for multiple different things, not just flavoring our food, but it was used as a, a preservative because they didn't have stainless steel refrigerators back then. So they would rub it into the fish and they'd put it on the meat uh, so that it would continue to stay well and it wouldn't rot. They would use it uh, for, as a symbol of purity 
fertilizer. They used it as currency at different times. It gave flavor to things like we use it today. It, it even healed wounds. It created thirst in people. So out of all of these things, out of all of these uses for salt, which one is Jesus directing with his people? Like out of all of those, which one do we maybe think he's using to truly tell his people, you are the salt of the earth? As I study this, I think the main one that kind of popped out to me was a preservative, to preserve the decaying world, to be a preservative for this place, because I think it's pretty obvious to all of us it's in decay. There are constant things that we see. Man, this world is broken. It's messy. It feels like it just keeps getting maybe a little worse and worse and worse. And we just sit through this and we go, okay, he's talking to us as kingdom people. He's giving the audience the identity of being salt of the earth to preserve the world that's before them, to live in the world that, is cur- that they're currently walking because it's decaying. And he's saying, hey, there's murder that happens. There's lies and deceit. There is betrayal, and there's so much more, and we're all just eating each other alive. But Jesus is saying, be the salt of the earth. Preserve the earth. Preserve what it should have been, the true kingdom of God. How I originally created it, how I wanted it to be, how it was supposed to be, and how it will be when I return and restore and make things new. To preserve the earth. To keep it from rotting. To continue to say, hey, it... I'm going to push away decay, and I'm going to walk towards actually asking Jesus to use me to be a part of preserving this earth so that it wouldn't continue to rot. He starts with this identity, and then he continues on in the verse, and he says, hey, the salt then loses its taste. Does it lose its taste? If it loses its taste, how could it be made salty? So a second question that might come to us, how does salt lose its taste? That doesn't really make sense, because if I leave it on the shelf forever, and then I taste it, you know, three years later, it still tastes like salt to us. It's still the same thing. So can salt lose its taste? Well, in the ancient world, it, can, uh, it was pure, but it could become impure. It could be mixed with something, and it would be defiled, and it would lose its taste. It would no longer be able to be used for what it was meant to be because it was corroded by something else. And so he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. Have you become impure? He's asking the people. Have you been contaminated by the things of the world that you're no longer preserving this place and no longer functioning the way you were intended to be used? He's basically saying that the salt is useless if it's not actually used properly or if it's uh, just filled with some other things that make it impure and it can no longer function as it was supposed to. It's a commodity that was then wasted. Then he says, well... Can it be made salty again? If it lost its taste, can it get it back? The simple answer is no. It's the simple answer that no. Either salt was never salt in the first place, just looked like it, but then when you taste it, you're kind of like, ah, that's not actually salt, it's a piece of gravel. Or, see, somebody laughed. (laughs) Or it was made impure by something else. And it could no longer be used for its actual function. So, can it be made salty again? No. So what do you do with it? Throw it out. It's nothing. It's useless. It's trampled under people's feet. So the question that might come to us in that moment is, if we were once salty and we lost our saltiness, that kind of sounds like, man, does that mean we can lose our salvation? Does that mean I, I could 
be redeemed and then be unredeemed and lose everything and then be useless to Jesus? Friends, not at all. In fact, this is good news that the creator of the world shows us exactly who we were before him. That we were corrupted by impure things of this world, that we were uh, completely far away from him, but the God of the universe came to make things that weren't pure, pure to bring restoration to them. That he's the king of the universe that could continue to restore people. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the great news about all of this, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We can't be unborn. We can't be unredeemed. You can't go backwards. It's just that Jesus has something so much more for us that when he creates us and makes us new, a new transformation, you, you can't go backwards with that. You're made new. The old is dead. And the new is brought to life through Christ himself. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so now that we've answered kind of a couple questions, who's the salt? Uh, What's it mean to lose its taste? What's it mean that uh, it's useless and kind of put off to the side and trampled under people's feet? How does that all function together for us today as we're sitting here with this text, as we're reading this? Well, I want to answer a couple of the questions that might arise with it. So first, as the salt of the earth... We read this message and he says, hey, be salt to the decaying world. Don't let things continue to rot, but bring life to them. Preserve them. Keep them alive. Keep the kingdom alive. And we look at that and I wonder to myself, am I preserving this earth or am I leading to its decay? So the question that I asked myself this week as I was sitting with this text, am I preserving this earth or am I just playing with the rest of the world and leading to its decay? Am I being more gracious, kind, loving, compassionate with my conversations? Am I believing the best in people? Or am I being divisive, rude, quick-tempered, unloving to those whether I interact with them or I don't? Whether I know them and they frustrated me personally or whether I have no idea who they are. I started asking myself, man, am I preserving this world? Am I preserving the kingdom of God? Or am I leading to its decay? So I want to ask us as a church, City Light South, do we function out of our true identity of being the salt of the earth? Or are we more caught up in the things of this world that constantly divide us, that lead us to continue to have uh, poor interactions with one another? Are we constantly bickering, gossiping, lying, fighting about different ideas, political ideologies, secondary theological differences, and earthly opinions? Or are we considering the kingdom of God so much more? And the people who are so far lost that we just want to continue to preserve the kingdom so that they may be let in. Here's one way. Here's the question I asked myself this week. One way that you might be able to tell if you are leading to more decay or if you're preserving a little more. Did you spend more time this week thinking about how someone offended you, angered you, disappointed you, disagreed with you, that led to a poor belief or thought about them, whether you talked to them about it or not? Did you spend more time thinking about that than you spent thinking about how you could preserve the kingdom of God this week? Did we spend more time being frustrated by what people said or did to us or things that are out there that frustrate us and annoy us and bother us? Did we spend more time thinking about those things than we thought about the kingdom of God? If so, there's so much grace. There is so much grace that continues to abound in Jesus Christ. 
If we felt like the last couple of weeks we maybe were a part of more decay than we thought we were a part of preserving the kingdom of God, I want to confess to each of you this morning that over the last two weeks I've been caught up in bitterness and in things of this world, things that are uh, short-lived and not very long-lived, and I let bitterness totally eat up my heart over the last several weeks. There were things in my life that I was frustrated with, and I, I needed to repent of it all. I, I literally had to rewrite some of this sermon on Saturday or Friday afternoon because I was mowing my yard and I was thinking about the text, and, and I was sitting there and I was like, man, Jesus, I need to repent of some things. And I sat there just brokenhearted over how I'd been decaying the earth rather than preserving the kingdom of God over the last several weeks. And I want to let you know there's so much grace because grace continues to abound and Jesus gives it to me. And so I want to repent to you. I want to confess that to you guys and let you know I'm asking Jesus to continually remind me that I'm the salt of the earth, that I'm here for a kingdom purpose, that my identity is who Jesus has declared me to be rather than who I try to box myself in with. So second question then. Are we becoming defiled and impure by things of this world that are slipping into our lives? Right? Salt was pure, could be used as a preservative, but if other things kind of mixed in with it, it can no longer be used for that purpose. So the last one was more external. This one is more internal. Are things of this world being led into your life that are leading you to impurity. So maybe a question to ask with it is, are you living a double life? Maybe on Sunday mornings you put on this great face, but you might be partying on the weekends or bitter towards people, demeaning towards people, talking poorly about your spouse, uh, talking about people behind their backs. If you live two lives, you might be someone who's been infiltrated by the things of this world and been corrupted and no longer able to be the preservative that God desires for you to be. That you've been uh, corrupted by impurity. And if that's you, I have a challenge for you. If you've been impure and it's led to sin, whether you're sinning against someone else or you're thinking about it in your own heart, whether it's gossip, anger, frustration, ignoring people, whatever it is, I want you to take some time, whether it's this morning or right after church or before bed tonight, and confess that to Jesus. To actually give it over to him. To hand it over to the one who redeems and brings new life and restores, continues to forgive our sin and to make us his people, holy people, who he has come to seek and save. That, that total internal battle that just wrestles over and over again in the things of this world, we should confess that to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and give it all over to him. Now, here's my challenge for all of us. If we've been wrestling with some things that have led us to be frustrated with people, be angry at people, whether they, they did something and we got angry at them or we're angry at them because of something they did to us, whatever it is, here's my challenge. After confessing and taking that to Jesus, would you actually go to that person? Would you go to that person, confess that to them, Tell them that they frustrated you and ask for forgiveness if your heart responded poorly. Imagine how much that could do for the kingdom of God because the rest of the world doesn't do those things. The rest of the world doesn't go to people who they're frustrated with. They just talk bad about them behind their back to everybody else. The rest of the world doesn't go to people and ask for apologies. Imagine 
what being the salt of the earth could do, preserving the kingdom in that moment. God could use it in such a beautiful, unique way. So, would you follow through in continuing to ask Jesus to move? So, here's a third application for us this morning out of this text. How do we know if we've lost our saltiness? How do we know if we've lost our saltiness? Look for a second, verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12, right before this, chapter 5. It reads this. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says when they insult you, when they persecute you, when they say evil things against you, you will be persecuted like the prophets before you. So if you've maybe never been made fun of for your faith, if you maybe haven't lost friends, if you haven't had really hard, awkward conversations with people about your faith, if you haven't been maybe pushed away or uh, maybe even been called a bigot or different things like that, if you've never experienced any sort of persecution, whether it's small or extremely large, can I ask the question lovingly, have you been unengaged in your walk with Jesus? Have you lost your saltiness in those moments? There's no shame in being unengaged. I want to remind you that Jesus' grace continues to abound over and over and over again. But have you lost your saltiness? Have you simply been maybe sitting on the sidelines like the salt that's sitting on the shelf in my kitchen right now? Or have you been walking with people being rubbed into the meat and wanting to actually preserve the things of this world so that they would look like the kingdom? So that God would continue to bring his kingdom through using the salt of the earth. Maybe a second question to ask is, has Jesus ever truly changed you? Have you been like white gravel that resembles salt? Looking just like a believer in Christ on the outside, but on the inside, he's never truly changed you. He's never truly changed your heart, and so you continue to ignore the call to be the salt of the earth because you just weren't salt. I want to invite you and actually ask you, would you give that over to Jesus? Would you ask him to make you new, to make you a new creation? Would you give your life over to him knowing that you've been so far off that in this world that's rotting and decaying, you've been filling yourself with the things of this world, trying to continually uh, put up this front to make yourself look like you were the salt to the earth, but truly on the inside, you're far from him, ignoring him completely. Would you actually have your heart truly captured by Christ, the king of the world? who came for his people, who died for his people. Now, for all of us, for all of us, as we look at verse 13, we might have an identity crisis. We might start to think, oh my gosh, am I actually living like the salt to the earth? And all of those questions maybe sound like really hard, bad news, and you might hear all of this and start thinking, okay, so I've just got to go be more salty. I got to make sure I go do all these things. I got to make sure I'm, I'm uh, actually going out and preserving the kingdom. I got to make sure I continue to go forward and, and fight for what God declares. And yes, all of that is true. But here's my call for us because Jesus identifies his people as the salt of the earth before he says any of the rest of it. 
He says, this is who you are. This is who I've made you. I didn't put qualifications on any of this. I didn't say five years after you come to faith. I didn't say after you get that seminary degree, after you figure out how to learn a small group, after you do all these things, then you can be the salt of the earth. So if you feel like you're not stepping in because you're too scared or feel like you don't know enough, friends, your identity is the salt of the earth because that's what the king of kings does. He redeems us without us even doing anything. That's how beautiful the gospel of Jesus Christ is because he's the one who did it all. He's the one who properly preserved the earth by coming to die and pay the price for our sins. He's the one who continues to restore and bring life to people. He's the one who makes things that were rotten and gross and dirty rags and far off from him completely made new to be able to be used as a preservative of the kingdom of God. That's the king that we follow. So the solution to all of this isn't, hey, just make sure you take away all those impurities. Make sure you're not just lacking in engagement. Make sure that you're preserving better. That's not the solution. But the solution is to remember that Jesus himself has already preserved you. That the king of the world has already come for you. And if you're wrestling with any of those things, I just want to ask, would you just give that over to him? Would you ask him to clean your heart and redeem you all over again to just continue to remind you of who he is and what he's done and how he's created you to be the salt of the earth? Because Jesus is alive and he gives you a new identity and we just continually ask him to work in our own hearts over and over again. Jesus gives them this identity of being the salt of the earth to preserve the decaying world. But he doesn't stop there. He continues to give them a, a second illustration to be the light of the world. So read with me uh, the light of the world, starting in verse 14. He says, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So the second point that we see from the text here is that God's people are the light of the kingdom. The light of the kingdom. Jesus' followers, he gives them another declaration of their identity. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Imagine that for a quick sec. Pretend we live in a mountainous place that's uh, really gorgeous and beautiful with snow on the top, but no snow down below because that's how we like it. <laughs> and it's dark, and you're walking, and you see something at the top of a hill, top of the mountain, and there's a light that's just shining bright. You kind of ask the question, I wonder what's going on over there? the same thing when we're driving down the street and it's dark out and you're seeing big old lights somewhere. You go, I wonder what's going on over there. Sometimes even during the off season of, of football, I'll be driving downtown and Memorial Stadium will be lit up and it's kind of like, oh, I wonder what's going on over there. See what the light of the world does? It brings attention to something. It shows something. It reveals something and people become curious. We're drawn to light. We're just wondering, what, what is going on up there? And Jesus tells them, don't cover up your light. Don't turn it off. Don't turn off the off switch. Don't ask Google to say, turn off the lights, please. But 
continue to look forward to the kingdom of God and be the light of the world. The city set on a hill. So as he's talking to his disciples and the crowd, most of them would have been Jewish. There might have been some Gentiles there, but the majority of them would have been Jewish. And so this is uh, keyed in for them because we read it and we're kind of like, okay, yeah, I understand what he means, be the light of the world. That, that's kind of, okay, that's easy to understand. But for them, they would have reflected on the Old Testament prophecies and what God said of Israel specifically. In Isaiah chapter 2, he talks about, God talks about how Israel believed themselves to be the city on the hill. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42 and 49, it calls Israel the light to the nations. This is their identity. So when they hear this, they know exactly what Jesus is talking about. And then if we go forward all the way to the end, go to Revelation uh, chapter 22, It says, night will be no more. People will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus is the true light of the world. He's the one who came to this dark place and brought light to it. He's the one who continues to identify himself with his people saying, I'm not just the light, but I'm also declaring you the light to point to me, to show them who I am. And as I'm sitting here thinking of this passage over the last week, I'm pondering on being the light of the world, and for whatever reason, I start thinking about light bulbs, because that's what I think about in my spare time. And I'm pondering on light bulbs, and I'm kind of like, okay, light bulbs, how do those things function? Because sometimes they go out, and sometimes they're new, and I don't really understand them. And if you touch them while the light's on, your hand gets all burnt and it just isn't really fun. So you have to turn off the light, wait a couple minutes before you replace it. And I'm sitting there and I think, man, the light of the world, what does a light bulb do? It never points to itself. A light bulb always gives light for you to see something else. It gives direction. It lights a pathway. It allows you to walk safely. It allows you to know exactly where you're going in the direction that you're headed. It shines in the darkness, but it never points to itself. You never turn on a light to go, oh, I wonder what the light bulb looks like. Anybody ever done that? I didn't think so. But the one time you do notice it is when it's not turned on and everything around it is. So Jesus says, be the light of the world. And as we think of being the light of the world, a city situated on a hill that continues to shine, we never point to ourselves. Because light bulbs continue to point the path towards something else. They direct you to something else. So as we think of ourselves as the light of the world, I think of, man, I'm supposed to point and direct to something else. And what am I pointing and directing people to? I hope it's Jesus. I hope I'm pointing people to the King of Kings. I hope I'm being a light for the kingdom and actually revealing the glory of God and saying, man, you got to see what I've seen. you got to witness the King of the universe who's completely changed my life and my identity. So when people are stuck, lost, they realize that there's no hope in the things that they're looking towards, I hope that they would see my light shine in the darkness that they're in. I hope that they would be able to see my life and go, Man, there's something about Alex that's just a little different. 
It's not as weird quirkiness. But it's something else. And it's my hope that I'd be able to point to the Father in those moments. And Jesus reminds the listeners right at the end of verse 16, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. He reminds them our job is to point to the King. Our job is to point to God himself and acknowledge that we're not the center of attention. We're not on center stage. We're not the ones who are emceeing and making sure everything's great. But in fact, we're more like the people who are up in the rafts with the spotlight pointing to the one who we hope everybody sees. That's who we are as the light of the world to point to Jesus and to remind people that it's not about you. It's not about what we've done. It's not about how cleaned up we get. It's not about how much we follow the law perfectly. It's not about uh, the good works we perform, but it's all about Jesus himself. That we look to the king and say, man, you got to see this man who has redeemed the world, who's changed me, who's transformed me, who's worked in my heart to just absolutely restore me to a new life and be a new creation. To be the city set on a hill, the light of the world. I think we can all agree that this is a dark place. We covered, right, with being the salt of the earth. It's a decaying world, but it's also dark. And my hope is that Jesus would continue to use us as his people to bring light to the darkness, to shine brightly in those moments where Jesus continues to just move in people's lives and hearts. So here's a self-reflection moment. I want all of us to do this. To take a moment internally and think for a second. Think about the real you. The one who you try and hide to protect. Think about the you that you rarely show people. Think about that version of you that even your closest friends, your spouse, your parents that you keep maybe deep down in there. If that was brought to the surface in light, how would you feel about that? How would you feel if all that darkness that was maybe inside of you was brought to light to be revealed for all to see? Now, that version of you is what Jesus died for. At our worst, at our absolute darkest moments, at the things that we try to hide from people and and keep to ourselves, the thoughts that keep us captive, the things that we see or the things that we crave and want to do and be, all those things that are deep down inside of us, that's the version of you that Jesus came to seek and save. That he joyfully said, I don't want to bring this into the light to make fun of you for it. I'm not bringing those things to the light to condemn you for them. I'm not bringing those things to light to shame you for them. But I'm bringing them to light so I could make them new. So I could restore them. So I could make you the light of the world and rid all the darkness that's in you. That's the Jesus that came for us. That in the darkest, deepest parts of our soul and our heart that we long to keep secret, that he completely changed and redeemed and made new. That's the Jesus that comes for us, each and every single one of us. 
And if you don't know that Jesus, if you've never given your life over to that Jesus, it's my hope that you would see that he is the light of the world. He is the one that doesn't just bring things, bring dark things to light to just leave them there, but he continues to destroy, he destroys them through his death and resurrection. And it's a free gift, free. Nothing that we have to try and do and earn and work for, but Jesus did it all himself. He said, I was the salt to the earth who preserved it all. I'm the one who came to preserve your souls, to be brought and made new, to keep you and to hold you and to restore you. I'm the one who came so that you wouldn't rot and decay. I'm the light of the world who continued to pursue his people in the midst of darkness to shine brightly everywhere I go. And one day, he'll bring light to the entire world. And I look forward to that day so much. But Jesus, the light of the world, didn't come to make sure that you know 10 different things about your Enneagram number and four different things about some letters that tell you about your tendencies. Personality tests, they're extremely helpful. But the light of the world didn't come just so you could have some understanding of some personality traits. He came to give you a new life, a new identity, to remind you that he's not just here to do some things for a short period of time, but that he's a God that continues to reign and rule around us all. Church, the king of the world came to die for people who were decaying and rotten and filled with darkness. And he brought it all to light and preserved it all. And as his kingdom people, I want to encourage you. You are the light of the world a city set on a hill. You are the salt of the earth who continues to work and preserve this place for his kingdom. Friends, this is where our church name comes from. City Light. Not just some lame-o marketing scheme that we put the sign up there that lights up in the dark. It's who we are. It's not who we'll be in five years not who we'll be when we know a little bit more. It's not who we'll be when we figure it all out. It is who he's declared us to be. What is true of our actual identity, that he gave us a new identity and that we as kingdom people continue to point to him. The light of the world gives direction to the actual light himself, Jesus. We are actually making Jesus visible to the rest of this earth so that people could see him, so that we would preserve the kingdom of God and bring light to this dark place. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for the good news that you came for us. I thank you that We didn't have to do anything to earn your favor, God, but that you did it all. I thank you that as we ponder what it means to be a city set on a hill, the light of the world, that you would remind us that you came to seek and save the lost who were far off in the darkness. Jesus, I pray that as we ponder even in our own hearts and our own memories of those moments where we felt like we were in complete decay, 
I pray for those of us who maybe feel like we're corrupted with the things of this world and feel like we've lost our saltiness, that you would restore it and that you would make us whole. I pray that you would uh, remind us that we are the salt of the earth, that we are kingdom people and we're, we should be looking at this world much differently than the rest of the world sees it, that we shouldn't be leading to decay, but that we should continually push forward and preserve. God, I pray that you would remind us of our true identity that we would see that you've come for us and that we have everlasting life with you. Jesus, thank you for preserving this place and bringing light to the darkness. We pray this in your name. Amen.